Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Latham Jr. Oh, no luscious black. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. We already got tired of it, huh? Nah, it's not that I got tired of it. It's just that I have to feel in the mode to say luscious black. Everybody knows I'm luscious black. What's wrong? I, um, this morning I, I got up and I, uh, I played Thriller to Fight, which is the Oculus boxing game. Oh, okay. And I was mowing through competition and I got to this one guy who was a southpaw. I switched to orthodox to try to offset the fact that I am a southpaw as well. And he kept putting some on my ass in the game. And I don't know why it affected my self-esteem this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it. so I... I put it all the way up on the highest level and I was able to burn playing through a little fight this morning, 870 calories, you know? Oh uh, my gosh. Oh no, you go, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I play, like I played on um, out class and I put it all the way up and I play like fight, like four or five fights. You're going crazy. Um, because you know, it's, it's, it's four, three minute rounds. And, you don't and, get like, like dizzy with the head thing on or. Mm-mm. Oh, Okay. I don't know. I feel like I would be like, I don't know. I've never done you that. Hang, you don't hang out in the metaverse, do you? I don't. Mm-hmm. And I'm not opposed to it. I know. I just don't. You just haven't been initiated into the mega, uh, the metaverse yet. Is that the best way to do it? Via the Oculus? I feel like the meta, the Oculus is the only way to get into the metaverse. Am I wrong about this? Donnie, <laughs> okay, is, the, is, the, is the Oculus not your initiation or your your conduit to the metaverse is there another way to be in the metaverse besides the oculus i, I feel like no, that's I, the metaverse. yeah i think you're right i mean we both could be wrong but i feel like the metaverse is like it is owned by the same company that owns oculus formerly facebook or whatever so i think they are one and the same but i feel like there's other versions of it for whatever other vr platforms there are metaverse is this popular is Hmm. Is are you on the metaverse? Are you in the metaverse when you're like on Facebook? Is that, are that technically in the metaverse? What is the metaverse? Yeah, I feel like that's an offshoot I, of the metaverse. It's like the I don't know. If you're like in the, the MCU, it's like being on the movies or being on Disney Plus. It's like, you know, different version. It says hmm. the uh the metaverse is a network of 3D virtual worlds focused on social and economic connection. I don't think, according to this, that the metaverse is directly tied to meta. That the metaverse is when you are using any VR rig, apparently, you are in the metaverse. Okay? Look at that. That's weird. Yeah, so y'all are like, both wrong. Yeah, everybody's wrong. I, I didn't know. I, I thought that the metaverse was just so, well, I'm right and I'm wrong because, well, no, I'm wrong because I said that the, <laughs> I, I said, I said that the Oculus was the only way to get into the metaverse. It's just one way to get into the metaverse. Why metaverse became a household world when Facebook rebranded its corporate identity of meta in October 2021. So Facebook basically got cultural, uh, capture. 
and having me think that they invented the metaverse. They didn't. Which is what they want. Which is what so. they want. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rachel, are you into like being inside of a computer and computerized Rach and an avatar and raching it up digitally? And having an old, uh, my own world. No, I can't talk. My own world there. Not really. I'm good here. I'm good with being present. I don't know. I don't have a desire to do that at all. What have you been doing in Charleston? <laughs> um, I've been to the beach a lot. We're in Folly Beach. So I've been to the beach a lot, which has been great. I mean, I've been all up in the water, having a good old time, laying out, took little Brownie to the beach. He's never been to the beach before. Um, we did a chore of, a chore, oh my gosh, am I okay? I've been drinking a lot since I've been here. So maybe these are the effects. You have, Rach, Rach, you have, a, you have an alcohol problem. No, I'm on it's vacation. Just, Rach, I'm on vacation. Don't start that. I'm on vacation. Alcohol. Rach, I showed up for much. this podcast twice. Mm-hmm. Twice. I've been, yeah, maybe some say I would, I do, but I'm on vacation <laughs> and I'm going to live it up. Sorry, guys. I'm not um, going to apologize for it. Listen, we took a, a tour of Charleston yesterday. And it's tough to kind of listen to these tours. Why? What's what's wrong with it? Well, I mean, you can't talk about the South without talking about slavery. And the tour was more of like pointing out, oh, this is this building. This is this house. This Confederate general did this over here. This is the oldest building where there were slave quarters. And at one point, the tour guide said, and these were known as the nicest slave quarters in town. No way. And everybody... Everybody looks at me. Rach, Rach, I gotta I blow up the trip. Like, but, but here, but, but, I, Rach, Rach, I gotta blow up the trip at that point. Like, and I just I gotta, started laughing. No I, I just, don't. I was like, what? <laughs> In her southern accent, she said, and right here, down, down here, they had uh, the blacksmiths were here, and they had this, and then right above here were the slave quarters, and these were known as the nicest slave quarters in town. <laughs> like, what is happening? And it made my mood bad, obviously, for the because I thought to myself, do I lose my shit in this moment? <laughs> or do I just laugh it off? Because you know I'm confrontational. Right. But you know, I'm with 14 other family I, I members here and Brian's family. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. But it's Van, like... but Van. <laughs> And I, I was already having an issue because the way she was talking about slaves was as if they were imported like the rest of the goods that she was talking about. So I was already irritated because it's like, do you realize you're talking about human beings? Do you even care? And at some point she would say, you know, this is where the slave ships would come. And it was really unfortunate. She would say things like that. But then the next friend would say, these were the nicest quarters in town. Ma'am, these are slaves. And I think it was just the inhumanity of it all, of talking about slaves as if, I don't even know if she knew I was on the bus. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. But it bothered me. Do you think It it kind of affected my mood. Do you think that the slaves realized that they were basically living in MTV Cribs, Slave Edition? (laughs) Do you think they... Do you think they... Like if slaves went to another plantation, I wonder about this. If slaves went to another plantation and they shit wasn't 
they they look back like, God damn, man. They ain't got no fucking hydraulic well. Fuck, we got it. So crazy. I don't even know. At one point she said, she said, and when the, and when there were too many African, she could say African Americans. I'll just say blacks. It's like when there were too many black people, when the black people outnumbered the white people, they would then bring in more Europeans to balance it out. <laughs> I just can't. Mm, mm. Oh, I said, I get up, get me off this thing. Get get me out of here. But I mean, Charleston's a very pretty city. It's a beautiful place. Um, again, it's my first time here. But the tour was tough. I and wanna, that probably is what contributed to my drinking. You'll probably like, fuck it, man. <laughs> Bring out the pina coladas, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like you know what? Like, I wanna I wanna rank of states in their slaviness. Cause you know, I'm from a very slavey state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we had a lot of plantations, big, huge plantations, Louisiana, very slavey. You know, people I you you drive down different parts and you see Slave. antebellum homes. You see a lot of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Louisiana, Mississippi, but of all of the slaviest places, South Carolina way up there, man. Yeah. Yeah. You feel it. You do feel it. There was something else she said. I don't know. It was a oh, lot. I know what story. she said. She said, nigger. And you were, <laughs> you were like, we would have fought. <laughs> now I couldn't let that slide. We would have fought. <laughs> but other um, than that, I mean, it's a it's a very pretty city, despite that encounter. What if I? What if Brian? What if she would have said that this is the nicest slave? Well, never mind. I'm not even going into it. You know what? No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. Is no. I'm not doing it because it's. Is these are the things that get into my head, like funny shit? Because mm-hmm. you're with there with your family, or it's just you? No, it's Brian's family. It's you and Brian's family. Mm-hmm. Now that presents a bunch of funny conclusions for myriad reasons. One is that they're not really from here, right? They're from Colombia. Uh, it's actually it's a mixture. Austria, yeah. remember I told you that Austria. Who's from because Austria? Brian's ha- Brian's half brothers and sister are half Colombian, half Austrian, oh, and shit. so for a while they lived in Austria with their mother, and so one of the brothers still lives in Austria, so is, his family's here. Is Brian half Austrian? No, so he's his, full Colombian. So his mother got remarried to an Austrian after she had Brian. No, his dad was married to an Austrian woman before. Before, and mm-hmm. then they and were then in met Austria. Brian's mom, and that and they're both Colombian. Hmm? Very interesting. Flavors of white, flavors of white. <laughs> Brian's family's different flavors of white, flavors of white. <laughs> it, it's uh, really interesting. You've got German being spoke, like mm-hmm. German, Spanish, and English, all. It's cultural. In the mix. Yeah. It's cultural, it's but they, cultural. they don't know any of this stuff. So it'd be very easy for them to say something hilariously comical. You know? They haven't. They haven't. Right. They haven't. When she said the nicest slave quarters in town, my sister-in-law tapped, like, just like, 
put her hand on my shoulder. Like, I heard it too. I heard it too. Don't worry about it. She's from Maryland. She was like, I heard it too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, When are you coming back? When are you coming back? When is this over? Tomorrow. 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 We've been here since Sunday. Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, It's been a hot minute. Is the water nice? Is the water nice there? You know what? We took pictures on the Folly Beach. I don't know what I was expecting, but it's so nice here. The water is warm, very salty, but um, the beach is really nice. No, yeah, you, you, you I don't go to the beach in LA. You should have. You should. You should like uh, when you're there with them. You should like come out of the water in the beach, like. Walking like you, uh huh. Do the whole thing, and then say, "I'm communing with my ancestors." Get out of my face. Because what I'll do is that's what I was gonna tell you. Yeah, I like I'll <laughs> I'll ruin the trip because everybody will be having a good time, and I'll be in the water waiting around, and they'll be like, "Van, why are you so pensive? Like, what's going on?" I'd be like, I'm "Just thinking about the fact that this is the same water that my ancestors came out of to go to the nicest slave quarters in town." <laughs> Well, at one point she goes, anybody staying at the Embassy Suites? They say that hotel is haunted. And I go, it's my ancestors. There you go. <laughs> I, like, I said that out loud. Nobody, nobody said anything. <laughs> you know how you know Hollywood is racist? It's because we haven't been allowed to make a movie about the ghosts of slaves that just fucking destroy and kill and get revenge. I've only ever seen that they they do it a couple of times, but I've only I saw it one time in Tales from the Hood where the slaves came. I off was the just painting. about to say with yeah. the with the nicklets. The nicklets. <laughs> Your little nicklets. That was so fun. <laughs> Such a funny episode. We should that have that episode a, movie. We we did we never did the Karen episode, the Karen thing, but we should have a higher learning film festival with just like uh just rent a theater and have people come over and just watch the movies that like we like to watch culturally. Like we could watch like Fucking Joseph in a Technicolor dream coat for you and your family, you know. <laughs> I know that you, that's the kind of stuff. What was your dad's favorite biblical movies? What biblical movies did y'all watch? For real, they love the Ten Commandments. Oh, that's a good one. I'm trying to. What's another biblical movie? Damn. Oh, we, we watched we we, we we watched Passion of the Christ, but I hated that. Like that was a tough movie to watch. Tough, I did not like that. It's a tough one. That's not. A, that's not one of my ones. I don't like that one. I like. So I like just the movie, uh, the greatest story ever told. Obviously, okay, like, I've never I like seen the it. Greatest but yes. story ever. You never saw the greatest story ever told. You know me. But wait a minute. But y'all was no. Yeah. Don't y'all us. You have created this fantasy of the life that we live. <laughs> so you guys didn't. You guys never watched biblical movies as children. Then you didn't watch we, them. We did. We used to have these. I don't know what the series was called, but. They were all these VHSs of like different stories in the Bible, but they were in cartoon form. So it's like it t- it would tell a different story of like, you know, uh, I don't know, Esther, Ruth, Daniel in the lion's den. Like we had different 30 minute VHSs <laughs> that would tell stories in the Bible. And I used to love those as a kid. I used to love watching those. Then we would, at school, they would scare us with movies like The Left Behind. Yeah, Tribulation Force. Of like End of the World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those used to terrify me because I went to a Christian, private private Christian school. So like, that's hilarious that kids would come over to your house and they would be like, 
I watch Bugs Bunny. I want to watch whatever. And Rachel would put on, let's watch Daniel and the Lions and give glory to the Almighty. <laughs> we don't want to go to Lindsay House. It's already average, different tales of the Bible. I want to watch Animaniacs. In our house, I can't wait for you to create the fiction version of of the of the Lindsays as told by you. But I will say, as a kid, I really did say, "You want to watch this?" <laughs> I did. I loved it. All right, you know what, guys? All bad news in the world of entertainment. Rachel's in goddamn Charleston, the nicest slave quarters, and. The actors in Hollywood are trying to avoid living in the nicest slave quarters in L.A. They have officially gone on strike. That's the big deal of the day on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, Rachel, are you in SAG after? I am. Are you? Uh, nope. Um, you're not? You're, I'm not. I'm not in it. Why? Because I don't want to be in it. Okay. <laughs> That's a real reason. <laughs> I don't, really? don't want to be in it. I am in it and I voted for the strike. You voted pro strike. SAG. After President Brand Drescher, a.k.a. President Nanny, and Chief Negotiator Duncan Crabtree Ireland are in a press conference right now announcing SAG's decision to join the writers in strike. They are not striking in solidarity with the writers. They have their own reasons for striking, but they are joining the, the WGA uh, in a strike that is threatening the very lifeblood of this town. Donnie, give me a little audio from the press conference. I cannot believe it, quite frankly, how far apart we are on so many things, how they plead poverty, that they're losing money left and right when giving hundreds of millions of dollars to their CEOs. It is disgusting. Shame on them. They stand on the wrong side of history at this very moment. We stand in solidarity, in unprecedented unity. Our union and our sister unions and the unions around the world. 
<laughs> so that's twice. Okay. Twice okay. we were wrong. Um, all right. So this is Screen Actors Guild. They had they were in talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. Stocks have fall, fallen apart. Last Wednesday, um, Rachel, you uh, voted for the strike. Why yeah. did you vote for the strike as a member of SAG? Well, I'm always one with the people. At least I like to think that I am. Sure. Here's, and the thing is, is SAG is divided into two different parts. So I am on the broadcasting side, um, which isn't a part of the strike, but still I am a member. I have, I do get paid on a SAG scale with certain things that I do. So I've seen these minimum payments. I have seen the lack of residuals, but I'm fortunate enough to where I don't depend on it. And I can't imagine being an actor who does have to depend on that. And so for me, I do want to support and stand with the people who are directly impacted by this because it's not fair. The minimum payments don't add up to, you know, inflation and and every, I mean, you know, we live in LA. It is so expensive to be here. And if you saw what people get paid at a minimum for their work with SAG, it's wild. I did a movie in April and I got paid the minimum rate. And I, I said something to one of the actors and they were like, this is how it always is. This is how it always is. So for me, I want to support, you know, I, pl- I do plan on you know being at the picket lines and supporting as well. But I like to, uh, yeah, that's why I decided to vote for it. Yes, All right. Strike. So in case people are wondering, in both cases, uh, when you're talking about the WGA and SAG, the people that they are negotiating with is the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. That's AMPTP. They represent the major studios and streamers. That's Amazon, Apple, Disney, NBC, Universal, Netflix, Paramount, Sony, and Warner Brothers Discovery. All right. According to the actors, they are not offering a fair deal. Mm. You just heard from Fran Drescher. She has been going to battle with them for a while now. On the back of this, there's been some talk from a big wig. That big wig is Disney CEO Bob Iger who says uh, that the unions, both the writers and the actors, are not being realistic with their expectations. This is what Bob had to say. We've talked about the disruptive forces on this business and all the challenges we're facing. The recovery from COVID, which is ongoing, is not completely back. This is the worst time to add to that disruption, Iger said. We managed, as an industry, to negotiate a very good deal with the Directors Guild that reflects the great value of directors and their contributions to the business. We wanted to do the same thing with the writers, and we like to do the same thing with the actors. There's a level of expectation that they have that's just not realistic. Now, among the demands from SAG, like Rachel said, are increased minimum pay rates, increased streaming residuals, neither of which, according to them, have kept up with inflation, and improved working conditions, royalty payments, which of course are contingent on the number of the show's reruns, uh, which were, are no longer reliable because reruns don't exist anymore in the era of streaming, not as much as they used to, and safeguards mm-hmm. around how artificial intelligence will be used. They want to protect their likenesses and make sure that they are well compensated when any of their work is used to train AI, which is an interesting point that they are making. Um, the strike is limited to film and TV production, like Rachel said, news, broadcasts, all that stuff 
is not part of it. This is the first time that the actors have gone on strike since 1960. It's been a while. Okay, so interesting here. Interesting here. Um, I'm sure people... Wait, it's the first time that the writers and actors at the same time were on strike since oh, 1960. Oh, I'm sorry, Donnie. I, I, I think they went the on strike thing. sooner than that. Thank you, Donnie. Oh, Thank you, Donnie. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mr. Sweetum, Sweetum, Sweet, 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 Booty, Booty. I apologize. I got it wrong. Donnie, do you... um? <laughs> just, just seriously. So, do you when you what is run? Wrong with you. <laughs> when you run, what? How long is the inseam on your shorts? Do you know? Do you, <laughs> Johnny, don't come on. Man, move way. on. <laughs> do you go with the five inch inseam, a four inch inseam? I'm comfortable. Is, all that matters is I'm comfortable out there. That's yes, all that matters. Okay, there it is. <laughs> sweet is sweet. Um, but yeah. So look. There's a couple of things happening here, and I think we have to kind of delve into them and be honest about them. It's like, if you're wondering who caused the strike, there's a, a there's an argument to be made that you caused it. You, the consumer. There's an argument to be made that you yep. are part of the reason why the strike is happening. And you didn't do it on purpose. You didn't. It didn't happen purposefully, but the business has changed to suit the demands of the consumer and the question then becomes who loses. Is that true? Is it because of the demands of the consumer or is it because this is what's been, how it's been fed to us, given to us? And yeah, then the consumer wants more of that in a quickness. I, I would argue that it's not because the consumer wanted it first. It's what was given mm. to us. And then we became attached to that. So this is why I say that. And by the way, this does not absolve the studios in any way. Uh, and I, I really hope that as we're having this conversation that you guys like honestly and fully accept that this is in no way uh, uh, absolving the studios. The reason why I say that is because I remember when Netflix first went to streaming, not original content. When they first started streaming the stuff that you could get from Netflix, right? Right. So for all of you whippersnappers that don't remember, Netflix used to be something to where there was a a changing in the business. We used to all have to get our asses up, drive to the video store, and we would browse around in the video store. By the way, this was a wondrous occasion. Loved it. Going to the video store was like a mini version of going to a movie theater. It was like a, I agree. It was like a different version. There were snacks in the video store. There were all. It was like a different. It was almost like a. If you got this energy from being in there, what are we gonna watch tonight? Like, what are we gonna do? It was a fun ritual of going to a mm-hmm. video store, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Blockbuster was almost like an amusement park. I don't know. It's weird. Um, no, it was. It's because you would browse through the aisles of the different genres, and you'd see the video cover. I mean, the the cover of the the VHS, and so it was really cool to see the different. Co- That's what I used to like to do. Mm-hmm. That's why it felt like so adventurous when you would go. All right. So for those of you who don't remember, Netflix ended up being a service that meant you didn't have to go to the video store. When Netflix first came out, you would pick the movies, and maybe they still have this. I doubt it though. 
you would pick the movies that you wanted and then Netflix would mail you the movies and then you would play them, watch them, mm-hmm. and then you would put the movies back in the mail and you'd send them back. So you didn't have to go to the video store anymore. All right. Um, there was also Redbox where there would be a red box outside of a goddamn 7-Eleven. You'd go in there, you'd rent the movies, and you you uh, you did bring the movies back when you were finished with them. Blockbuster had a I little love kiosk. Redbox. Redbox, when Redbox first came out, it was cool. All of these things threatened the video store and they were taking the video store out. Out. Then, the real change was when Netflix started streaming the movies on the Netflix site. Meaning, you no longer had to even mail the movie. You didn't have to go to the red box. I remember when I first got to TMZ, having my iPad and just watching movies streaming from Netflix on my iPad, thinking, Jesus Christ, this is great. I was having a conversation with a guy out there who was in the business who was asking me about paparazzi stuff. And he said this to me. I'll never forget this. I swear on my dad. He goes, the real change in the business is going to occur when Netflix starts making their own shows. I was like, huh? He was like, yeah. He was like, all the content that you're streaming on Netflix is one thing. But what about when Netflix starts actually making shows for themselves that you can stream? And I was like, oh, shit. And over the next couple of years, Netflix destroyed an entire industry. And what we thought was that streaming was only going to destroy one industry, but it turns out that it threatens to destroy them all. We thought that streaming destroyed the, uh, uh, the video store, but no. Streaming might have destroyed the video store. It might have destroyed, uh, the movie theater. And it might have destroyed the movies themselves because because every secondary revenue stream that was available to film and TV is being gobbled up by streaming. It used to be that Matt Damon talked about this when he was on Hot Ones, that a movie that took in a little bit less would then go to DVD and you could make a lot of your movie back, money back. There were some movies that were legendary only on DVD. That's gone. In television, you used to sell a show like two or three times. Like Friends mm-hmm. would be on NBC, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole generation of people who only know Friends from being on TBS. Mm-hmm. There's so many shows that we watched every single episode of that we never watched them in first run. We never yeah. got it. We they by the time we got them, they were in syndication. Seinfeld, Friends, whatever it will be, that's gone too. Streaming killed that. So the money has just gone way down. Streaming is insanely convenient for the consumer, for it someone is. who can just go home, press a button, and watch something in HD. But the economics the infrastructure of these businesses is wholly different. Now, you can make an argument that everybody should have seen this coming. Uh, 
You can make an argument that whatever pie is left should be split equitably, but you can't make an argument that there was going to be some sort of pivot that was going to happen. What I think the most important thing to take away from all of this is, since there's less money in the pot, is that in today's day and age, the studios are really, really, really stupid. If they think that the working actors and writers of the town are going to be the ones to live in poverty, while guys like Bob Iger, shout out to Bob Iger, who make $30 million a year are going to tell tell them to eat porridge. Like, there's got to be something that's done. But we cannot act like there is an economic pivot that has happened that seemingly snuck up on all of these people. The streaming wars have not really been what they thought that they were going to be. The subscriber numbers haven't really driven these billions and billions and trillions of dollars of, uh, not trillions, but billions of dollars of profit that they thought they were going to do. A lot of these things aren't quite working like they thought that they were going to work. Um, And there's got to be some type of new model that exists to either restore the cash flow that was there before or create a new one. And I think the working people of the town are are saying, you know, we're not going to bear that brunt. I, the all very well said. And I think it's interesting too. I what I I wonder if they anticipated how overly saturated things would become. There would be all these streams because it was just Netflix. Then everybody started doing the model. I wonder if they anticipated that and that that would also be the downfall of this industry. It's too much. It's it's it, there's too much to go around. I don't know how you pull back on that. I mean, even when even seeing like you know, Discovery and Warner Merge or Showtime with with Paramount, it's still all too much. So I don't know how they pull back on any of that. But it's interesting. I I really find Bob Iger's comments shocking, and I'm actually surprised he said them publicly. Publicly, because what he's admitting is that it's all about the business and not the people. Oh, he talks come about on. the. He's the CEO of Disney. Like, what do you think? Like, like obviously, I said I'm. Be, yeah, I'm said I'm surprised he said it out loud. Yeah. Right, because don't you want to give this appearance of we're really trying to negotiate? We're really trying, you know, like we've been offering certain things because they did. I mean, the 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 people who've been negotiating on behalf of the studios did blame it on SAG. They. They basically said, we've been trying to negotiate SAG's the problem, and they're the ones that are going to impact the livelihood of all these actors. They did blame it on them. But to hear Bob Iger come out and say it in this way, to me, it's like he said the quiet part out loud. That, to me, was shocking. Mm. I don't know how they come together, and you can obviously tell how de- how much this impacts the livelihood of, of, ri- of writers, now actors, because Fran Drescher was very emotional in, in, in that speech that she was given. And it makes me feel like they're nowhere even close to any type of resolution. And I would love, because Bob Iger says there's a level of expectation that they have, meaning SAG, that is just not realistic. I would love to know. Because the demands to me that SAG is ma- are making, they seem to be very reasonable and necessary with the way that times are. 
what is Bob Arger referring to as the level of expectation? Because it seems like the bare minimum he has a problem with. So can I give an idea of what I think he probably is talking about? A couple of things. Please. All right. So one thing is I think with streaming that people might have overestimated is their own IP. Because this is what happens. This is what happened, right? So you have stuff on Netflix. Everything's on Netflix. You, know, you can watch stuff on Netflix. And Disney says, hey, we own Mickey Mouse and Marvel and Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So if we start our own streaming service, people like Van, who are culturally captured and shackled to his childhood, will buy our streaming service and watch whatever we tell them to watch because we have that. All right? Mm-hmm. So Disney does that. Takes all of that stuff. It's not on Netflix anymore because remember, the Marvel stuff used to be on Netflix. Right. Uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, all of that stuff, was they were doing that with Netflix. But like, why would we do it with Netflix and make Netflix money when we can do it on our own streaming service, have our own shows, and then it's like, whatever. Okay, cool. The same mm-hmm. thing kind of happened in boxing, by the way. HBO Boxing used to uh, be the gold standard of boxing. It was HBO and Showtime, ESPN had Friday Night Fights. Then all of the boxing promotions signed different deals different places. PBC went mm-hmm. with Showtime and then there were streaming services that popped up. The Zone was a streaming service that Golden Boy and other places went with. ESPN Plus had top rank and so these fighters from various promotions wouldn't be on one place an HBO or a la Netflix. They all went to individual places and then you have to have three or four different places um to watch boxing, but you can watch all the boxing that you want, right? If you mm-hmm. like top rank, you can watch top rank. And if you if you like PBC, you can watch PBC and whatever, whatever. Okay. Um, so Disney says we have Mickey Mouse. Warner says we have Batman and DC. Okay. Um, Paramount says we have Mission Impossible. We have uh MTV. Um we have all of this stuff. So you're going to come over here if you want to watch the fucking real world or if you want to watch Mission Impossible. If you want to watch Star Trek, we have Star Trek. If you want to watch Picard, we have all of this. And so the battles between these streamers became battles against various IP and which IP you couldn't live without, right? HBO is with Warner. So they're like, we have Game of Thrones. We have The Sopranos. That's when you get like Sopranos prequels movie, prequel movies being made all kinds of stuff like that because you have to continue to use the IP that you have to draw people to whatever it is that you want them to watch, right? Yeah. So it's all a battle of the IP. Everything started coming out when you said being oversaturated. It turned out people didn't care as much about that as they thought that they cared. because Or password sharing. Password sharing as well. Like their, their digital workarounds to how much money you get from these things. You share the mm-hmm. password, you're making you're making less. The subscriber accounts aren't quite what you thought they would be. And right. if you make all of these shows, you have to make all of these shows. And if you make all of these shows and the quality isn't there, you burn the audience out. Then mm-hmm. the audience is going back. Like sometimes I'm on Disney Plus and I love Disney Plus, but sometimes I'm on Disney Plus like, what am I going to watch? Like, like, what do I watch now? Like yeah. I have to, I feel like I have to watch something because I have Disney Plus. The question is like, what? Like, what is it going to be? Like, what am I mm-hmm. going to watch? Like, I've watched all the Marvel stuff. I've watched all of this. Am I going to watch like the latest kids Disney cartoon? There are no kids in this household. 
So it's like, what? You know what I mean? And then you start to go, well, shit. Like, how much do we watch this? It doesn't matter if you can afford it or not. If you yeah, never yeah. go on Paramount Plus and you never watch it, like, then you go, do I need this? And then you start getting rid yeah. of them. <laughs> then, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying to, in terms of the way this works is, you can't really, they need a different model in order to have residuals on a streaming show because the residuals that you would get would be energized by the fact that this show is sold into syndication. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of times the crazy money that was being made is because these shows are sold again, right? They So you're selling them two or three times. Well, now you're only selling that show one time. There's one pot of money. And the show itself isn't really generating any more money. It's like not generating that much more money. Like it's generating the yeah. amount of... T- because people aren't going back and watching it as much. So how do you then, I'm not saying you can't, it's just that's the question. How do yeah. you work the residuals for a show that's on a streamer that came out once and people aren't going back? And then another thing is, you're not selling the show again, so you're not really making any more money off of the show, right? So you're losing a lot more money on the show, which means the budget of the show would probably have to come down like in the beginning, then another thing is with the show is the streamers don't want to make their technical information available. So they don't want to say, this is how many people are watching the show. They don't want the proprietary information of their streams, of all of that stuff to be known. Why? And, um, Because a tech company is different than a network and mm-hmm. they'll they don't want people to know exactly how their fucking algorithm is working and how people are watching it and when people are streaming it. You have a, they, they give out some numbers on this stuff, but they don't really want to share that stuff. And if you don't share that, it's difficult to really come up with how much people should be getting paid after the fact. They don't want to be transparent about that. They're tech companies and not networks. Rachel's frozen. Am I frozen? I can hear you. Okay. Well, you we got me? you back. We got you back. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that has to be worked out. The thing is, it has to be worked out with the livelihood of actors and writers in mind. So, you know, there's a lot of different mechanisms to it that actually do have to be worked out. They they do have to, but everyone has to kind of go into it understanding that. <laughs> It can't be the people that drive the business. It can't be the minds that actually make the stuff happen that are the ones that are getting fucked. But I'm telling you right now, this problem isn't going away. And it's it's like a real tipping point for the industry. COVID didn't help. Yeah. None of this stuff helped. People are going to have to cut back. There are so many more shows out there now. But the question is, like, what is the best way for everyone to continue to make money. And with streaming, which I said is better for the consumer, it's right there in your face. Watch it whenever you want. Watch it on a plane. Uh, fucking uh, watch it at home. Watch it during the meeting. Watch it when you're playing basketball. It's all right there. Yeah. It's just not as lucrative. 
it's you know what I mean. It's just not. It's yeah. not as lucrative as it used to be. I don't know be. what the solution. I don't know what the solution is. And I mean, clearly, neither do they, because that is why we are where we are. But this is. Gonna, I mean, I'm already seeing the effects of it. I was supposed to have an interview today. They pulled out. Yeah. They pulled out because they were like, we're standing with with our fellow actors, and so even though my industry isn't on strike. It directly impacts us because we do premieres, we do interviews, we do all of this. And, you know, the actors, they're not going to show up for that. It's they're already talking about the Emmys, award shows. So it's it's going to have, it's not just affecting, I guess, the people who are directly involved. It's going to have impact just throughout the industry in general. I mean, we talk, I feel like we talked about this um, when we were talking about the writer's strike. Hollywood is going to shut down. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. The whole thing. And I think that the studios are going to find out that um, if they go up against the culture of Hollywood, which is built on uh, a degree of public relations, like oh, your Christopher Nolan's, your Matt Damon's, I think I've got... Oppenheimer on the mind. All of these people. Yeah, yeah. I was like, they, uh, Margot Robbie, uh, Mar- Margot Robbie, uh, fucking Ryan Gosling. All of these people, part of their personality and their likability comes from the fact that people look at them as liberal, um, and caring about people and all of that. And the town itself is looked at as this bastion of liberal politics and ideas. Which, you know, if you live here, you know that that's not quite the truth. But if the entire money engine of Hollywood says, you know, fuck everybody. Yep. And and they move forward. That's a, that's going to be tough for a lot of people to go on. It's really money against culture. I, I don't think that that's going to be a successful strategy. I'm not surprised that Iger feels the way that he feels. But to your point, um, I am surprised, like you said, you made a fantastic point. I am surprised that he just kind of came out and, and said it. But you know. He's big mad. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of acting, Tommy Tuberville didn't really act like he had much sense. Uh, white nationalists are people too, Rachel. Sure. There are certain are. kind of people, but they are people too. They're Americans. I call him an American. Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, who was the coach. I don't know if people know this as much. You know Tommy Tuberville, right? They they know he was the coach at Auburn. Know, he's a coach they, at Auburn. I mean, they, they know, know but he said, I was a football coach for 40 years. It's like, people act like, I've been here, Tommy Tuberville's been the name that's been my life the entire, whatever. Um, Tommy Tuberville uh, defended, in my mind, white nationalists, <laughs> calling them Americans. And he uh-huh. doubled down on that defense on CNN. This was the first thing that he said. Donnie, run the audio. I do want to give you a chance to clarify some comments you made recently on white nationalists serving in the military. For those who are watching, if they haven't heard your remarks, this is what you said. Do you believe they should allow white nationalists in the military? Well, they call them that. I call them Americans. Do you want to explain those comments, Senator? Yeah, first of all, uh, 
I'm totally against any type of racism, okay? I was a football coach for 40 years, and I dealt uh, and, and had opportunity to be around more minorities than anybody up here on this hill. Uh, but when our military has been attacked, was being attacked after 9-11, after January the 6th, and that was my first day on the Senate floor, I thought it was, I thought it was outrageous of what senators from the Democratic side, Chuck Schumer sat on the floor that night calling out people, calling people racist, calling people nationalists, white nationalists. White nationalists is just another word that they want to use other than racism. Uh, I'm totally against anything to do with racism. But the thing about being a white nationalist is just a cover word for the Democrats now where they can use it to try to make people mad across the country, identity politics. Uh, you know, you know, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I, I'm so obviously this is all fucked up, but I don't know if I'm more concerned that he doesn't know what the fuck that he's talking about, or if I think that he's actually trying to give cover to white nationalists. Because when I first heard this, I go, okay, he is breathtakingly jumping into the pool of defending a white nationalist, and he's fully aware of what a white nationalist is. And he's trying to dog whistle to them as Trump has done with the Proud Boys or Trump did with David Duke. But they do this kind of with them all the time. I'm not so sure he's even aware of what a white nationalist actually is. Am I shooting bail here? Or because the more I watch it, the more I can't even understand what the fuck that he's trying to say. I know he's not saying what he should say which is that I uh, denounce white nationalism in all of its forms and anyone that's in the military that would be a white nationalist is acting that cross purposes with, with what the stated goals of the, the military are, which is to defend the freedom of all Americans, right? Equally, mm -hmm. um, which is a very easy thing to say. I just fucking freestyled it and I'm not even in the Senate. But, yeah. but I don't know if he even, is he, is this just fucking really dumb? Is this really racist or is this really dumb and racist, Rachel? Huh. So I would say when I first heard it, I said, oh, he doesn't know the definition okay. of a white nationalist. I, I truly thought that I go, oh, he's an idiot. He doesn't know that because this isn't the first time. And I'm sorry, I don't have the exact example, but there's something else that he did where it was like, what the hell is Tommy talking about? He made another dumb comment before. It was like right when he took office. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, he does he just he's not he's not the sharpest tool in the shit, at least when it comes to to politics. Uh well, this isn't even politics. This is just that's just a definition. So he's just not the sharpest tool in the shit. But hearing what you just said, it almost doesn't matter if he's dumb or if it is a dog whistle. Right. It's problematic yeah. either way. Because what he's doing. I believe, is going to be what we see Republicans continue to do. If that's your opinion of the word, that's wild. If that's your opinion is going to be the new thing that we hear them say. Because since when do we opine about the definition of a word? Oh, well, that's your definition of the word. Oh, well, that's your opinion of the word. No, that's exactly what it means. And I can see that phrase being used by you know, extremists by 
Republicans as a way to whitewash or muddy the waters to allow some of these ideas to become mainstream or to go along hand in hand with this concerted effort to change the history of white people in this country. It goes right with CRT. It goes right with book bans. Oh, well, that's your opinion. Oh, no, I'm not a racist. But if your opinion is that a a white nationalist is racist, then that's how you feel. But that's but no, that's exactly what the definition is. If you Google white nationalists and you pressed image or you press image, everything that pops up are Confederate flags, people in white hoods, people throwing up the Hell Hitler sign. I mean, it is. It's hard for me to believe he doesn't know the definition of it. I think he got caught up in his own thing, but it doesn't matter. Both are problematic because I think it is signaling maybe the dog whistle is that that phrase or that this way of saying it is what we will continue to see them do. So he had another interview. This is really breathtaking stuff here. Um, About this topic? Yeah. So I'm just looking at at it right now. He was on with Rachel Scott over on ABC. She asked him, can you explain why you continue to exist in that white nationalists are American. Um, and he goes, listen, I'm totally against racism. And if Democrats want to say that white nationalists are racist, I'm totally against that too. <laughs> <laughs> He's not. <laughs> Yo, if the Democratic spin machine <laughs> wants to say that Nazis are racist, I'm against it. If a democratic spin machine wants to besmirch the name of the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> by saying that they are racist, I'm against it. Um, but this she is says, a senior senator, <laughs> a U.S. senator. Guys. She says, that's not a democratic definition. He goes, well, that's your definition. He says, my definition. It's racism. It's bad. Van, this is not going to be a one-off. <laughs> Van. She said, <laughs> she said, she said, she said, the definition of a white nationalist is someone believing that the white race is superior to all other races. And then she asked him again, do you believe that white nationalists are racist? And he says, yes. If that's what a racist is, yes. <laughs> what the fuck is up with this nigga? <laughs> My, bro, this is comedy. This is comedy. Oh my God. We are so fucked. <laughs> we, we are so fucked. So, uh, I just for, for Senator Tuberville, <laughs> he's from the great state of Alabama. I, uh, hope that he knows that Alabama has 13 different racist organizations, including the Patriot Front which is a white nationalist organization, Occidental Descent, which is a white nationalist organization, 
and a lot of different other places that are operating right there in its very own state. I'm looking at white nationalism by state. And I didn't realize that Arizona was as active as they are. Arizona has 39 different groups that the SPLC deems to be white supremacist groups. So, look, um, I, <laughs> these. this is a senator who is cozying up to white nationalism and who is also breathtakingly dumb. <laughs> breathtakingly dumb. It, there's, a, there's a positive about this, though, before we move on is the positive is a, a lot of the people in the GOP, the brass here, they're losing the ability to be slick. Like they're losing the ability to be slick about this. It used to be that they were better at dog whistling, right? But mm-hmm. the frequency is starting to be where we can actually hear it. This is funny. I watched that a couple of different times. I'm like, what is he trying to say? And then he's, he's just, it, this, this is funny. It's scary. We're, it's all fucked up, but it's, it, it, it's funny. And I look, and this is another situation, you know, and I don't want to bring, I'm about to break my own rule here. I'm about to just throw other people in this who had nothing to do with this. But when, when we talk about some people in the GOP that are supposedly representing black American interests or they're black or whatever. When we talk about guys like a Tim Scott um, or the people, there was a, um, a sister that was uh, in Georgia who just switched right after the election to the Republican party. And they caucus with these people. I'm trying to really get a grasp on how they feel about this. Like how does it mm-hmm. feel to share, to share the Senate chamber with someone who just won't even say that white nationalism is bad. Like just the the baseline, you know, sure. the baseline of understanding. And so I just wonder, I wonder. We're gonna get to Neil deGrasse Tyson here now, but I want to let people know that uh, the Republicans. We haven't talked much about Hunter Biden on this show because and let me tell you why, just real quick, so people know why we haven't talked much about the whole Hunter Biden thing because it is completely inconsequential to anything that has to do with you, and it doesn't matter to be honest with you if you're a Democrat or a Republican. The Hunter Biden scandal has nothing to do with anything as far as what I can see, okay? Like, um, if in fact there was some way to connect Joe Biden or the White House to any impropriety worldwide with what Hunter Biden was doing, which seems to be influence peddling, uh, then that's something that would interest you. The zealous prosecution of Hunter Biden by the right in order to try to dread something up on Joe Biden, it just doesn't have anything to do with your life. It's a political legal bargaining chip. It is not anything like what President Trump has been accused of or things that President Trump has been indirect, uh, that has been implicated of. It's not like President Trump trying to use the Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden. It's like not, not like any of that stuff. It just really doesn't have anything to do with it. It's political fodder, right? One thing that has happened that's interested in the Hunter in the Hunter Biden case, though, is that it seems that the star witness for the GOP is a fucking spy. That was fascinating to me. Gal Luft, we'll, we're going to bring a guest on to talk about it. 57-year-old guy. Um, 
was giving information or going to give information regarding Hunter Biden, something he knew about Hunter Biden, um, to the GOP group of congressmen who are doing the investigation. It turns out that unbeknownst to them, last year, this guy was indicted on being a motherfucking spy and a potential arms dealer. And he is now on the run. So, another thing that's hysterical. We'll, we're going to bring somebody on to get into the, the nuts and bolts of it. But the just unbelievable lack of thoroughness, of insight, of seriousness that exists on the right now, it's it's almost becoming a black mirror mixed with SNL sketch. It really is. <laughs> Their guy who they swore was up and down was credible, who skipped bail in Cyprus while he was waiting extradition back to this country, has all of these accusations. Accusations, by the way, that came before because this stuff was just unsealed. This is, goes back to November. Accusations that came before they were touting him as their number one star witness. Um, it's just funny. But it's so complicated and convoluted that we're going to have somebody dissect it for you guys real quick. But just, it's just, it's more stupid stuff. It's I, I thought it was, this is like a bad fucking... Uh, well... <laughs> what's worse is they're still doubling down on it, right? Of course they are. They despite have any, they despite can't do all this information coming out, they're still like, nope, this is just something that the Democrats are doing because they don't want this information to come out. It's like that. It's same same stuff, different day. Yeah. All right. Uh, Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson was on DJ Vlad VladTV.com. Uh, recently resurfaced clip. Neil deGrasse Tyson, of course, an astrophysicist, says that he wants to be known as just that, a scientist. And if you call him a black scientist, it's one specific word that he used. Run the audio. The point is, the moment you say you're a black person, I want to cast you as a black person. I'm going to ask you black people questions. You have ghettofied the interaction. Mm. If, if, if I'm a black scientist to you, then I'm not actually a scientist to you. Yeah. You have asterisk by your name. Yeah. <laughs> you have you have constrained who and what I can be in your mind hmm. by even assigning that label. Hmm. So what's obvious here? What'd you say? He's only I said what's obvious here. He's only book smart. Okay. And he hates being black. <laughs> you think he hates he, being black? Hates being black. He thinks that he literally equated black with ghetto five. I don't yeah. even know if I've ever heard that word before or it used or it's been a long time since I've heard it used. Two things are obvious there. You don't think he like you. You think he likes being black. So. I don't know. Um, Fam. I don't know. I, I can't say he hates being black. Man. What? I think anybody who runs away from the usage of 
Black as something that defines you and you are a Black person, I think you hate your Blackness. Would you say that Tasha hates her Blackness? Come on now, don't do... She's, according to Tasha, she's African-American and Mexican-American. <laughs> uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson got his BA at Harvard, his MA at the University of Texas, Austin. His, Book smart. Uh, <laughs> his PhD from Columbia University. Of course, he is a recipient of National's Distinguished Public Service Medal, Public Welfare Medal, and the Klopstad Memorial Award. Astrophysicist, scientist, communications. Right? He's taught a bunch of different places. You guys all know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is. This is what I'll say about this. Um, I, it, so, you know, I, I'm not sure if Neil deGrasse Tyson hates being black. Um, I, I can't, I can't say that. He doesn't like it. <laughs> what, what I will say this, he definitely doesn't like being a black scientist. What I will say is this though. <laughs> uh, there is, uh, um, there's a proximity to whiteness that a lot of people confuse with freedom. Because in America, really in the Western world, being white has meant being free. So sometimes there are black people that confuse the want to be free with the want to be white. That happens all the time. I heard uh, Donald Glover one time say that he wanted to be big and white. Uh, He said this on The Breakfast Club. He said that whiteness is blankness and he wants to come into a room without any preconceived notion about who he is. And the only way to really do that is to be white. He did this. Aren't there preconceived notions about white people too? Which is not why by, you want to be white. Not by anybody who matters. So because, because the white people do the notion setting in America, sure. this is the, what that means is that the notions that black people have about white people and with people for people who believe that wouldn't really make a difference. But the notions that white people have matter. White people don't have those notions about each other in this romanticized view of this. So that means that you walk into a room, if you're big and white, then you're okay. Okay? Um, when Neil deGrasse Tyson said that that ghetto it, that obviously is a pejorative that leads into the racial Lindsay theory that he hates being black. I think that when I look at who Neil deGrasse Tyson is and the rooms that he's had to be in, that what he probably wants is a is a greater proximity to whiteness and not necessarily a hatred of blackness. Now I can't yeah. say that I can't say that he doesn't hate being black. I can't say that he doesn't hate it, but he what he's confusing though is actually Donnie take that out because that's not what I meant to say. What what I think Neil deGrasse Tyson is trying to say, or what I think he what I think he means is that he wants to be free to be who he is. And the only way to be free to be who he is is to not be black, right? And to me, what that means is that being black is not a part of Neil deGrasse Tyson's makeup to himself. He doesn't look at himself. His blackness isn't important to him. I can't say that he hates it. It's disgusting to him. But it... (laughs) <laughs> you are saying this so beautifully. No, I'm not this saying is, it. That was. Re- I'm not saying it beautifully. Really what, well what, I'm, what, I, what I'm telling you is that a lot of people, 
use a lot of things to bring them closer to white people. And they, they think but that like, being closer to white people is being closer to freedom. People will the use their, their money. As soon as they get money, sure. I don't want to be seen with the rest of these niggas. I don't want to be their education. I don't want to be seen with the rest of these niggas. Their spouse, I'm with somebody. So that means that like, not, come on, nigga. I'm just, these are, don't, <laughs> don't take it. I'm just saying that they, that, <laughs> shut up, man. I'm kidding. I'm not, I'm, boy, that's not a shot. <laughs> I'm saying that sometimes people marry. In, I'm not saying that everybody does it. I'm saying that sometimes people marry into families and they're like, I got my fucking white family now. I was just talking to yeah. somebody about that not too long ago. So all of these things. And I think that Neil deGrasse Tyson thinks that his education has freed him away from being categorized as a black person. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to come around. I'm, I don't know why I'm trying to shoot this nigga Bell. Maybe because I like watching <laughs> the cosmos. I don't know why. This nigga don't like being black. Rachel's I'm, I'm very interested, right? Can you I, 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 I apologize how the audience. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it was beautiful what you said. And I'm sure, and if he's listening to this, he'll be sure to take that and use that. Oh no, it's not in hatred that I have. It's this. Listen, the man hate, looks into a mirror. He might not even look into mirrors. He doesn't want people to know. You walk into a room, they immediately see you for who you are. And to me, there's such pride in being, when you think of a scientist, you probably don't typically think that they're Black. And that's a problem. And here you are to pave the way and show, you know, your success and all the things that you've done. And it doesn't matter that you're a Black scientist. Your resume, you you read out his resume, his education, it speaks for itself. The works that you've done speak for yourself. So you should be proud to be a black scientist. But at the same time, are people really walking around calling Neil that? Are people really like, hey, there's... <laughs> I just showed Rachel a picture of Neil and his wife. <laughs> are people really walking around saying, hey, there goes Neil, that black scientist? No, they're not. Yeah, they are. No, they're not. They are, though. Hey, there's Neil, I, I, that I, I black take, scientist over know, there. I, look, look, I've taken, not a black scientist, but I've taken a lot of pride in the fact that, um, or not, maybe, not necessarily a lot of pride, I think it's been cool that uh, the most famous word on astrophysics, not the best astrophysicist, but the most famous name in astrophysics is a black guy. That's only been something yes. cool for me. You know what I mean? And, it's, of course. Yeah. Um, the term, the use of the term ghetto-fied is... <laughs> Is <laughs> and did you see the look God on his face Neil. when he said it? The yeah. look on his face. The use he of the term "ghetto fied" is that's wild, Neil. That's wild, Neil. I didn't want to believe it about Neil, man. That's wild. The use of the term "ghetto fied," though, Neil said, "The moment you call me black, you the ghetto fied me." God damn, bro. being black is being ghetto. You've ghetto fied the conversation. Because you refer to him as being black. So this is a man who, he definitely doesn't want to be black, period. He does, it's not that he doesn't want to be a black scientist. He doesn't want to be black. I think Rachel's right. It's a loss for the Just go back here. and look at his face when he says... You've ghetto-fied in this situation. I, I should have known that He's Neil serious. was like this, too. For uh, for Neil still got a good hair a, he a good head of hair, and doesn't even try to get his shit lined up. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it it's like 
sorry. He, he does, it. bro. Neil's still he got goes. a good head of hair. He don't even try to get his shit lined up. <laughs> he goes. He said every letter in the word ghetto fight. He goes, you have ghetto fied. And then he continued. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's interesting even, you know, to go on Vlad's platform and do that is interesting because like black people are going to hear that. Like, it's he not like... He doesn't care. Yeah. He doesn't care about y'all. And <laughs> if you watch the entire clip, if you watch the entire clip, what they talked about in the clip is, uh, you know, the fact that Eddie Murphy did a lot of roles that were written for characters uh, that weren't necessarily black. Like Beverly Hills Cop was a movie that wasn't written for necessarily a black character, but Eddie Murphy put himself into that role. Um, and a lot of times you want to be known just for being an actor or just for being whatever. I've never understood that. Like when I'm... I haven't either. Nah, when I'm podcasting, black podcasting. When I'm watching Brazzers, black porn fan. You can call me black, whatever. It doesn't matter. If he would have said, I just want to be known as Neil sometimes, perhaps there's a world. I've heard other people say that where I can be like, whatever. But ghetto-fied the conversation. Ghetto-fied. I tried to shoot my brother some bail. Neil. You need to apologize, bro. You need to tell us what you meant. We This is an official invitation for Neil. I'm going to hit Vlad. This is an f- official invitation for Neil deGrasse Tyson to come on Higher Learning and explain what he meant by ghetto fight. You don't want to have him on. Well, I don't need him to explain it. I he, was very, it. he was very thorough in what he just said. I know, but we have to live in a world where people talk about things. Just like, I mean, we gave, they gave, Tommy Tuberville, a bunch of different conversations to explain to us about, you know, what our American is. I, right. I, 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 I would like to have, this is, the, I, this is the olive branch for Neil deGrasse, not the olive branch, this is the opportunity for Neil deGrasse Tyson to come on here with two ghetto motherfuckers and ghetto fire himself by talking about black shit. This ghetto he never. fire. Oh, he, I think he would. We'll reach out to Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think you first will. first question is define ghetto fight. I want to know. You've ghetto fight the situation. I want to know. And then, do you like being black? You do know you're black, right? Do you consider yourself black? I'm telling you, these guys think freedom is whiteness. The two words are so synonymous for them that they think the only way to be free is white. They don't want to be black free. They don't want to be free as a black person. They want to be white, feeling that that'll make them free. Being white is not the goal. That's not the goal. No. Being free as a black person is the goal. Secret Invasion is a show right now that's on on Disney Plus, and it's about the scrolls. The scrolls are a race of aliens that come from scrollers. They're here on Earth. And they can shapeshift. They can change. So you never know if you're talking to, you could be a scroll right now, right? And the scrolls have a motto. The scroll faction that's trying to take everything over, they have a motto. It's called home in their own skin. Because the other scrolls, a lot of them would be 
living on earth, looking like other people for the entire time. And they're like, okay, well, that's what we got to do if we live on this planet. But there are other scrolls that are like, they want to be home in their own skin. They want to look green. To me, every human being should want to be home in their own skin. You don't want proximity to whiteness making you free. You want to be free as a black person, Neil. So when someone calls you a, when you don't want to be judged as a black scientist, what -hmm. you're essentially saying is the only way for somebody to judge me fairly is to disregard a very essential part of who I am. Mm. So you're Team Gravik. (sighs) My Team Gravik. Gravik trying to kill a bunch of people. I, don't, I wouldn't do it that way. Wait, where is the pat on the back that I knew that? You watched yeah, the show? That was you, impressive. You, I was impressed. <laughs> I thought, honestly, I that thank I had you, said Dottie, that's, I thought no, I had said the name. That's actually Dottie impressive. confirmed. He did not say the name, right? No, that's actually impressive. How do you know that? Seriously. You I'm watch watching it. the show. Oh, wow. Rachel, see, that's what I mean. So you watch the show. I'm, so you you know what I'm talking about. I've got Disney Plus to watch the show. I did the interview for Secret Invasion. I knew nothing about it. I've never seen anything Nick Fury. But I did all my research because I am so obviously not well-versed in Marvel. And sure. I did all this research and I found it so interesting. And I watched the first episode and I was like, I'm going to keep watching this. This is really interesting. You like it. You like it. But you understand also, scrolls. I understand yeah. it. I understood everything that you said. Mm-hmm. And it felt good. It felt good to hear. <laughs> I know exactly what you were talking about. Also, Brian and I have started our Marvel journey. We watched the first Captain America movie. Okay. And we are now in the middle of the second one. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great movie. Civil mm-hmm. War. Oh, not Civil no, War. No, no, no. There's Winter one in Soldier. between. Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah. Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great movie. It's a great movie. All right. There's a sea otter that is uh, terrorizing surface. <laughs> a five-year-old female sea otter with a growing reputation for confronting surfers and kayakers. Obviously, I'm on her side. Um, Onlookers in the video can be heard laughing in jest at the surface misfortune, but the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says that the otter poses a public safety risk. Rachel, are you team otter or team surfer? Well, I know you're proud. Of course. Um, I didn't really pick a team, but if I must, I'm going to pick the otter because I feel like the only reason the way the otter, the only reason that the otter is acting in that way is because in some way she feels threatened. Maybe someone has messed with her before and she is merely just defending her home. I'll tell you straight up I know right you're shocked now. to hear me say that. I know I mean, you're shocked to hear me no, say no, that. No, no, no. I know why you're I'm saying I'm coming it. around. I'm you, coming you, around. No, why? you're saying it because it's a female. If this was a male, I didn't otter, know it was a woman. I thought you chose to 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 deem it a woman. I didn't if, know. <laughs> if this was a male otter, you'd be like it was acting aggressive and it needs Gotta to go. be put down. Yes, <laughs> gotta go. And that's the energy that I'm bringing next Monday to the summit of the sexes. Oh, Monday, summit of the sexes, Donnie. Real quick before we get to mailbag, summit of the sexes is happening Monday. Donnie, are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm excited. Me and Ashley are tickets be there. still available. Chloe's gonna be there. No, they're not. They got oh. scooped up real quick. So we no more appreciate t- the enthusiasm. Uh, no more tickets available um, for the Summit of the Sexes, but you guys, it's going to be a shit show. My friends are coming in. <laughs> uh, I think they land tomorrow or maybe Saturday. Um, and we're going to have a lot of fun. 
on to some of the sexes, guys. You guys aren't my friends land miss it. Saturday too. Friend. Are you guys are you guys gonna get like all hyped up and watch Waiting to Exhale and the Joy Luck Club all weekend long? That's a great idea. It should. You should. You should. We'll see. Bring, those aren't those aren't man hate. We need to watch more men hating movies. Waiting to Exhale isn't a man hating movie. No, I don't feel. I wouldn't. I wouldn't categorize it as that. Would you, Donnie, Ashley, Ashley? Do you do you waiting, consider waiting, waiting to, to exhale, exhale man hating? No, you guys, hold on for a second, <laughs> real quick. No, 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 seriously. I would not say I would not. It, to me, that movie is more about friendship and sisterhood than it is man hating. I would not deem it in that way. Okay, let's talk about this real quick. Because not every man is bad in the movie. How many men? And they don't are hate good? on every man. How many men are good in waiting to exhale? Um. Gregory Hines. He's good. So is her son. Why can't I pick his name right now? Donald Don, Faison, he don't count. Why not? Because he, he doesn't count. Fine. Wesley Snipes. I wouldn't say that he's good. He was. Why was he bad? Why was he bad? Okay. So I'm not saying he's necessarily bad, but I'm saying that he was married and he was cuddling with Whitney Houston while his wife has cancer. Facts. Okay. First off, did you not see the movie? Wesley Snipes was not with Whitney Houston. He oh, meets Angela, Angela Bassett, Bassett at the at the bar. But he, but he was married. He was married. He was married. Okay, but it's not a man hating cuddling. movie. Waiting to Exhale is definitely. I, first of all, I like Waiting to Exhale. Every black man that ninety percent of the black men that show up at Waiting to Exhale are fucking assholes. There's. There's two. Wendell Pierce, shout out to Wendell, uh, uh, friend of the show. <laughs> right. Wendell shout Pierce. Out. Okay. Oh, the guy that Lilo Rashawn is dating, who I Michael T. Williamson. Yes. Michael T. Williamson. And um, the Allstate guy. Um, Dennis Haysbert. Okay. All of, all three of those, all three of those guys are just Oh shit, Leon. Damn. Leon. Okay, but those Leon in the movie is, is is bad, and I'm not even trying. I'm not saying that this is bad, but I'm saying the Giancarlo Esposito character in the movie, for the time that the movie came out, when they were portraying him like he's 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 gay, they were actually Should I forgot about him. That was being portrayed in a specific light to me, as if. Literally, all black men either ain't shit or they're gay. Like that, you have the the only guys that came along in the movie that Donnie were okay. Donnie to the rundown. The only Atkins guys I'm telling the, you, for some the, the only guys that came along and waiting to exhale that were deemed okay were Gregory Hines. That's it. Everybody else had a fatal flaw. That's not true. It's facts. Dottie, add it. Yeah, I'm add telling it. you. Add it. We it's... will watch Waiting to Exhale before we come in. I want to be fully equipped because I already know you're not right because you tried to put Whitney with, with Wesley. Number one, I just forgot. But I, I, like, I, just, <laughs> I just forgot. It was Angela Bassett. But Wesley Snipes, they have this little meeting. They go back and forth. And then he tells her, I'm married. Like literally, like every, if, if Waiting to Exhale isn't a man-hating movie, then there's no such thing as a man-hating movie. Who's the guy that Whitney goes on the date with? He might have been a bad guy, too. Remember, They're she all- goes, it's New Year's Eve, and she goes to that party. He did something. Dang it. 
I'm not, there, I'm not, I'm not, it's not a man hating movie, but the men are, aren't shit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> See, this is a reverse Neil deGrasse Tyson. Is definitely the whole theme a is count on me. It's about counting on your sisters I, and, and things and go cool. bad in life. And, and by the oh way, oh my I, gosh! And guess who we? Hello, Angela Bassett's husband. We forgot about him. Who's whose car she had to burn, and all the clothes. Oh yep, yep, yep. <laughs> we forgot about him. Right. Damn. Well, oh yeah, completely forgot about him. It's this hit. That's Michael Beach. He's the main bad motherfucker. In He's the, movie. the main. He, he's the man. And I'll be honest, it's been tough to like him between that and soul food. It's been tough. Michael Beach is the man. But look, look so look, I, this is all I'll say, okay? This is all I'll say about the movie, okay? Is I'm not saying necessarily that I, I have a problem with the Exhale. I happen to like Wade the Exhale very much. I like the movie a lot. But and I hate to do this. If I was to make a movie and every black woman in the movie wasn't shit, it would be a problem, man. Waiting to exhale is like the tip drill video where everyone oh, was mad. Everyone was mad about the portrayal of black ladies in the tip drill video, but at least them women in the video had some agency because they were doing what they wanted to do. But in this particular movie, these guys were written this way. It's a man-hating movie. It's a black... It's Wait the Exhale why? is a black you know man-hating not, movie. I'm going to give you four words that show it's not. What? One of the most famous lines in that movie. He's a good man. Savannah. <laughs> is that five words? He's a not, good man. I just Charles Barkley did. He's a good... He's a good man, Savannah. Let me tell you what my favorite line from that movie is. Three words. You raggedy bitch. When he was drunk and he came to her house. Oh, oh my God. You raggedy bitch. Have a fruit bowl, bitch. It was just like. <laughs> See what Van likes? Thing. That was funny. It was funny when she came. He was a funny character. Yeah. He was a funny character. It's a funny character. All right. I was going to introduce you to your. I was going to take you to introduce. Meet my mama. He was so drunk. <laughs> he was, what do you mean? He was high. He was like, he was like on crack. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Wait, next time was a man hate movie. Anyway, mailbag. Mailbag time. Time to read your letters and then we'll reply to them. Oh, it's mailbag time. Write us with your queries and we'll chime in. First one comes from Cool Cucumber. They ask, what's an unpopular opinion that you have? Rach? I'm thinking. I feel like I have a lot of them. They've come out on this podcast. Um, an unpopular opinion. You go. You got one? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of unpopular opinions. You know, I didn't Donnie, like... you have one? I didn't like uh, the the latest Mission Impossible movie uh, that much. I haven't seen it. Um, I don't know. I, 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 an unpopular opinion that I have, uh, obviously. Oh, obviously, you guys know it—the opinion that you know all your mamas should be out there having as much sex as they can. That's an unpopular <laughs> opinion. 
it's not an unpopular opinion. People just didn't want to hear you be so explicit in how when in talking about it. Nah, that's that's what that was. Y'all mamas gave blowjobs. Get over it. All right, like Donnie, what's an unpopular opinion that you? I'm have? struggling to come up with one. Um, that isn't like See, that's a problem. I mean, I know I have some, uh, but I'm struggling to come up with one that like is interesting. Like the one that comes to mind, you saying Mission Impossible is that um, Top Gun Maverick was not a good movie, but people like love that. See, there we Donnie, go, Donnie. Okay. It was a good movie. <sighs> I think it doesn't deserve the hype it gets. Maybe that's hyperbole saying it's not a good movie, but not worthy of the hype and praise. Oh, I have All a, right. I have a an unpopular life. opinion. I watched the first Captain Marvel. It was okay. That's and I'm struggling. Everybody. And I'm struggling. And I'm struggling to continue down my Marvel journey. I'm not that's excited fine. about it. That's fine. You know what my unpopular opinion is? Uh, my unpopular opinion is that I feel like Tupac's music, even his raps, were better than Biggie's. Nah, I can't say that. I don't believe that. I like Tupac better, but Biggie rap better. I was about to try to go there for you guys on some real, like, hot take shit, but nobody really rap like Big, man. Damn. I like Pac's music better, though. I like Pac's music better than, than Biggie's music. But, I think people would say that. But like, Big rap better than Pac, man. I, I was going to try to go there on some shit, but that's not even real. Right. Ne- Donnie, can't next do one. Can't right. do it. Can't be that much of a Next one is the last one. It's from Coven Casual. They ask, if Brownie, Copper, and Bozeman were featured in an animated movie, which actors would you like to see voice them? Um, well, I'm trying to think of what I think Copper's voice sounds like in real life. I think I would want like Michael B. Jordan to voice Copper. You can make noises all you want. And for Brownie, I think I'd want, I'm trying to think of a child actor, some child actor. Van, who's voice in Bozeman? Lakeith Stansfield. Perfect. That's Bozerly Wozerly right there. Lakeith. 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 All right, we got Lakeith, Michael B. Jordan, and who's Brownie's voice? Give me a young, a young black actor. Oh, no, no. You know who I want? The kid. Well, he's not a kid anymore. Now he's grown. Um, from Blackish. Oh, my God. What's his God. name? Hold on for a second. What's... We, I, I, I have to. This just popped up. According to the chief negotiator, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, we talked about him earlier in the podcast. Um, part of the groundbreaking AI proposal from the studios was this. They proposed that background actors should be able to be scanned, get paid for one day's pay, and their company should own that scan, their image, their likeness, and be able to use it for the rest of eternity 
in any project they want with no compensation. That's what the studio said? That's That was a part, reportedly, that was a part of the studio's groundbreaking AI proposal. That is That shows a fantastic degree of hubris. Like, that is amazing. That is, that's impressed. I'm so impressed this podcast. I'm impressed with Tommy Tuberville. I'm impressed with, <laughs> I'm so impressed. It's really impressive. So they're not trying to negotiate at all. We own you in perpetuity. Digital slavery. That's exactly what that is. Digital. That's wild. Digital slavery, like it, literally digital slavery. It's insane. All right. Um, we're going to keep abreast of what happens. Uh, just to let you guys know, we both live in Los Angeles. So this town is going to be attraction for a while. I really hope you guys like reality shows. Um, I, I hope that you enjoy them because you're about to get parking attendant reality shows. You're about to get reality shows about uh, Postmates, delivery people. Just amazing. <laughs> Tell you thing caps off with do not stop learning. I'm Van Lathan Jr. Can you hear us? Just close out the podcast. <laughs> Just close it out. <laughs> okay, we're out. I'm sorry. It, it, it's fine. It's cool. We'll be back next week. Bye, y'all.